You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. I think ever since 2009, 2010, we've always tried to be prepared, you know, reserves and other funding opportunities to weather a recession. Um, But I feel like I mean, maybe I shouldn't make economic um, predictions (laughs) as a leader of a museum organization, but that, you know, this recession is not going to be like the, you know, the housing bubble um, and that, you know, that we're, we can weather, I think, even if it's a few months of sort of negative growth. Yeah. Yeah. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. Megan Wood knows her Ohio history. She's been with Ohio History Connection for years, working in a variety of positions across the organization. This summer, she ascended to the top job at the nonprofit, becoming the first female CEO in its history. She's overseeing the organization as it kicks off construction of a long-awaited $17 million collection care facility near the Ohio History Center's Fairgrounds area home, and as it watches economic conditions ahead of a potential recession. Megan joined Women of Influence just a few weeks into her tenure, but already with plenty of ideas in mind for how she wants to shepherd the history-focused organization into its future. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining yeah, us Yeah, thanks today. for having me. Uh, and so you are about two months into your new role? Yeah, I think it's eight weeks, but who's counting? Yeah, <laughs> so, well, so you are not an Ohio native, is that correct, or are you? No, I, so I was born in Texas, and then I grew up in Michigan, which in this town I like to say north of Toledo. Um, <laughs> But I did not go to that school. Yeah. Uh, but you know, grew up Midwestern, and I was living in upstate New York, where I went to graduate school. And when I came back to Ohio, I was like, "Oh, this feels a lot more mm-hmm. like home than upstate New York did." But I also didn't quite realize until I moved here in 2006 how um, volatile <laughs> feelings towards Michigan were. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay," but. Yeah, so I've, you know, been here since 2006. Are you a, a fan of the School of North? I am not. So I went to a Mac school, mm-hmm. um, and I don't have any allegiance to that team. I, in Michigan, the rivalry is, you know, Michigan-Michigan State. Yeah. And I had two brothers who attended that other um, uh-huh. school. But I like to say it's a state in the union not a football team <laughs> for me. Are, are you a Western Michigan fan? That's your. Yeah, I mean they're my mm-hmm. my, they my alma mater. Yeah, I mean when I was uh, there, I was in the color guard in the marching band um, back when Marshall was also in the MAC, and we traveled to Marshall a few years for a, a championship, which that was also a cultural experience. Mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. college football tends to be, yeah, a little bit bigger in 
Yeah, Marshall fans are very um, intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, had a very, I lived in the South for a long time, but grew up Midwestern. I feel I had a very similar experience to you coming mm-hmm. from Ohio. Oh, this is, these are my people. Yeah, well, um, upstate New York doesn't have a whole lot of college football either. Uh, I was like, what? You know, <laughs> what's happening here? Um, so did you know much Ohio history before you moved here? I didn't know a ton of Ohio history. I really acquired most of it um, once I moved here. And a lot of it is just through experience of working at the organization, going to our sites, starting to read some of the, you know, the tried and true history books, like Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Andrew Caton's book about Ohio history. So it's really like kind of picked up along the way because, you know, growing up in well, I was in elementary school for a little bit in Texas, and they really pound Texas history yeah, yeah. into everybody. And then um, in Michigan, I just you know didn't get that, but really come to appreciate and love um, Ohio history. Megan comes to the top job at Ohio History Connection with plenty of internal experience. We talked about her career path within the organization, where she's truly risen through the ranks. Well, can you tell me a little bit, stepping back, about some of the other roles you've held mm-hmm. with uh, History Connection yeah. and, and what work you've done to now? And yeah, go ahead. So I started as the coordinator for our National History Day program. And History Day is a, um, it's like science fair, but it's for history. And each state has an organization that um, runs it. So Ohio History Connection has been doing that for many years. And I coordinated that program. So I would go out to schools all over the state, talk about historical research and research skills. And uh, and from there, I moved into some more uh, management positions. So at one point, I was overseeing the operations of the Ohio History Center in Ohio Village and was there in that role when Ohio Village went through a period where it wasn't open for daily use. And um, so we, you know, reopened it. I guess it's been about 10 years ago now. Um, And so I oversaw that work. Then I most recently was leading a whole division um, that was our historic sites, our collections, and our exhibits. Um, And that includes like our library state archives. So that was a big swath of the organization. So I've seen a lot of aspects of the work. I've run a register. (laughs) I've done events. I've emptied garbage. So I I feel like I have a pretty good perspective on a lot of the work, not all of it. And I think that really helps me just think through, you know, like there's a big picture and a vision, but I understand that has to, that has to filter down to each individual person picking up a piece of that Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about that, about moving, you've been with Ohio History Connection for a while, Mm -hmm. but uh, how did you feel about taking on the new job and how has it been settling in? Well, I've been with the organization about 15 years, um, but leading a museum or a history organization was my, really my dream goal uh, when I was in college and deciding to pursue this kind of career. So it's really exciting and kind of a big honor to be able to do it at a place that I grew up as a professional and to to know that I could stay and continue to make an impact. And, um, you know, you sort of put your money where your mouth is when you've been on staff for so long. And, you know, you think like, what would I do if I was in charge? And then you're put in that position. And the excitement, the opportunity, but also the reality of starting to make you know, starting to make those changes. But, you know, we have a great team. We have great content to work with. So it's a lot of fun, um, even when it's challenging. Taking on the top job is an exciting change for Megan, but it's also a daunting shift. I'm always curious how business leaders handle moving from an operational role to one that's more big picture. I asked Megan about that change. So I guess this is 
kind of circling back to something we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, but as you've moved into this new role, I wonder, are you, you know, is this more now your, you know, operational dollars and cents less, less about the history, I guess, or how has it changed your day to day? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have to be more focused on, well, try to be focused on the big picture, try to lead everyone towards the big picture, to be out and about talking about the organization, but building, you know, those relationships and, and, and working, you know, with the state house on you know the operation the dollars and cents piece but i think what keeps me excited is that i know because i was down on the ground doing the work that you know if the bosses aren't um bringing in those resources and setting that picture it's not possible to do the work so i it's easy for me to keep that connection and then uh you know to just make sure that I'm intentionally keeping in touch with like the work we're doing and in history and in the joy of it, Mm -hmm. um, not losing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's easy to say eight weeks in, but (laughs) I think that's how I keep myself like replenished. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when I'm bringing a guest on the podcast, I have enough familiarity with their industry to know what gender parity looks like among its leaders. And most of the time, there's not a lot of it. It's tough to find a space I can't describe as male dominated. I was less familiar, though, with the world of museums. Megan broke things down for me. I'm, I feel like when I do a lot of these podcasts, I'll be like, oh, such and such industry, male-dominated. I'm honestly less familiar with your industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me, about, but I do know you're the first female CEO. Mm-hmm. Of Can you tell me a little bit about kind of your peers in similar roles? Is it unusual uh, to have a woman leading an organization of this type? Or? There is... I think I haven't seen the statistics on this in a while, but I think it's something similar to what you see like in education where there are a lot of women entering or in the field, but still mostly led by men mm-hmm. and, and white men. Um, and so this, I think they're starting to see a change uh, where there's um, more women being appointed mm-hmm. um, to these positions. And there have been women um, in other state organizations in the past and, and earlier, but not as many um, as there are working in the field. Um, and, you know, the field has to, the museum field, I guess, in general, is still working on its diversity issues that there's a lot of white women entering the work mm-hmm. and trying to encourage a more diverse pool of, of students entering into the field. Mm-hmm. But definitely still a lot of men um, leading these types of organizations or being on the board so, you know, for our organization to have the first, you know, woman leader since it was founded in 1885 is both believable and unbelievable, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what does Megan want to accomplish during her tenure? Here's what she had to say. So uh, we have a very large network of sites. We have 58 sites around the state. And so we have a challenge on how we keep everything sort of fresh and up to date when you're focusing on that many places. So one of the things I'll be working on with the whole team is how do we create a new structure and system so that things can stay more current, that that we don't work on a project, you know, 20, 30 years ago and we're like, whew, that's done. We don't have to do anything with that for 40 years because that's just it's just not the reality of how people consume content to go and see something that's that old. And so thinking through the process of how we are more um, rapidly updating things and and making experiences fresh. Um, You know, it's one of the things, but also 
we're starting to think more broadly about all of our sites as places that, you know, draw people in for tourism or coming together as a community. And how are each of these places, you know, creating positive impact, you know, economic development, community pride, and having that be a little bit of our focus as well. As an avid bar trivia player, I wanted to get some insight from Megan on what Ohio fun facts everyone should know. She shared a few pieces of information that most appeal to her. Uh, Well, I wish, you know, I like to go all the way back because our time period is, you know, the beginning of time till now. And like the impact of the glaciers, I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but the impact on the glaciers and the ice age on like our own life, you know, like what's glaciated and not glaciated in Ohio. Um, And we have a site called Glacial Grooves up on Kelly's Island where you can see you know, like how the glaciers just like raked across the land. And I always like to start with that one because it really forms, there, there's the Great Lakes, um, the Appalachian region versus the, the glaciated parts of the state. You know, you think about the beautiful things like Hocking Hills and Cuyahoga Valley. But then uh, I think there's also such a rich innovation history that's really fun. I think a lot of people know that part, but it goes beyond kind of like the Neil Armstrongs and the John Glenns that, there are many like businesses and innovations that wrapped around the aerospace industry that uh, that added to you know you hear like a couple names like the Wright brothers and but how many other people were engaged mm-hmm. in that work in Ohio and you know the reason why we have a NASA center in Cleveland then there's a lot of great like women's history um, I'm that was my sort of area of focus in school. Someone like Victoria Woodhall, who's spent time in Ohio, and Oberlin College. There's just like so many incredible women and women of color that came through Oberlin College that we get to sort of claim, you know. Mm -hmm. And you think of someone like uh, Gloria Steinem from Toledo, and her great-grandmother is potentially one of the first women to hold like a school board seat, you know, in the the state, um, or the first, I think, maybe Jewish woman to be elected mm-hmm. to office potentially. So there's just, you know, um, a whole breadth of like smaller stories. And then our American Indian history is really, really deep that, you know, if there's 10,000 plus years of human history in this place we call Ohio, you know, we're only at this like little tiny bit at the end of the timeline that is, you know, sort of Euro-American. And so in our work, we're really trying to reconnect Ohioans with tribes that um, were removed from Ohio, that have ties, and that they're still living cultures. And I think, you know, if they took, if people took one thing away, it'd be like that, you know, Native Americans who lived in Ohio are still here. They're Mm -hmm. just not here. Mm -hmm. Most Columbus residents are likely most familiar with the Ohio History Center in Ohio Village, which you'll pass any time you're driving north of downtown on I-71, which is about to get that multi-million dollar addition. But that's not all there is to the Ohio history connection. I guess, so I'm still relatively new to Columbus and not from Ohio. And I yeah. think when I think of Ohio history connection, I mainly think of your kind of your main yes. site over there by the fairgrounds. But 58 sites, can you give me some examples and, and what are kind of the hot spots right now? For, yeah, know? so in addition to the Ohio History Center and Ohio Village here in Columbus, we have places like um, Fort Meggs, which is in Perrysburg, um, Ohio, on the Maumee River, which is actually a very beautiful spot, beautiful town. Um, to visit. And so that's a War of 1812 site. Um, and then we have a, a site like the Armstrong Air and Space Museum 
in Wapakoneta, which was the hometown of Neil Armstrong. So when he was up on the moon, Governor Rhodes was like, we're building a museum in his hometown. And they did. And that museum opened before Smithsonian Air and Space did. So it was like one of the first places in the country that people could see a moon rock. I mean, you can still see a moon rock there. It's a, that's a great place for like air and space and, and uh, that kind of history. Um, and then we also have sites like Zor Village in Tuscaroras County, which was a German separatist group, the Zorites, that lived in a communal setting. And the town is a town that like people live in and work in, and but it also is a historic site. So it's a really like a picturesque place mm-hmm. to visit, especially this time of year yeah. in the fall. I'm really cataloging. I have like a 18 month old and I'm like, these are awesome things you should do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I always encourage people that there is, you know, the historic site, the historic part, but there's always like walking, hiking, playing that we don't have to experience these places just one way. You know, when my kids are six and 11 and when they were toddlers, you know, I'd take them to the center and we would look at the animals. We would run up and down the stairs we would play in the trolley, you know, that it's like we invite people to experience and use these places like as your time and your life requires, Mm -hmm. because I've definitely gone through different phases. It's like being a mother um, taking my kids places. Mm -hmm. Yes, I feel that. You don't always really experience the point of whatever the thing is. (laughs) No, no, you don't. (laughs) We were at the Renaissance Festival this weekend and picking up rocks on the ground was the highlight for my daughter. I remember (laughs) my son being very intrigued with like a fence line when he was two and I was like, why would I go to Disney World when this fence is here? If we are indeed entering a recession, times could get tough for nonprofits like Ohio History Connection. But Megan, a longtime veteran of the organization, has been there before. Here's what she said when I asked about challenging times. What has been some of the biggest challenges that the organization faced in the time you've been there? I was there through the Great Recession, um, 2008-2009, where um, the, the state of Ohio was cutting budgets all the way around. So we're a private nonprofit, but we uh, do services for the state. We're in the Ohio Revised Code. And so we received the majority of our funding from the state of Ohio. And in that, the 2008-2009 time period, our budget was cut by 42% from the state. And one of the ways that we weathered that is that we, we went to these local management agreements with all of those sites. So many of those sites are now run by um, partners that we pay a stipend to. So that's a, you know, that's aged about 13 years now. So that's like where we're now this further far into this is we're trying to, you know, determine the best way to support um, those partners, but also um, the sites. But that was a huge, you know, challenge dealing with those budget cuts and how do we um, protect ourselves from mm-hmm. the circumstances of the world. Now, if you had told me then, just wait, you know, <laughs> yeah. just wait till 20, you think this is bad, just wait till 2020. Um, I, you know, I would have thought that was maybe the hardest of times, but, um, and then going through the whole, shut down in 2020. And I think especially those first few months, we didn't know that there was going to be, you know, federal assistance programs. And those really, I think, helped many nonprofits, especially like of our size, be able to, you know, get through and survive, but um, maybe harder on smaller nonprofits. But there, that was a challenging time because we were making decisions. We had to like sort of shift and pivot on a daily and weekly basis what we were doing. And then when um, restrictions opened back up, 
it became more, we had to, you know, we were following the government's lead and then suddenly we had to make our own decisions. You know, now we're in this period where we're each making our own decisions individually. So, you know, those things have been challenging, Mm -hmm. you know, to deal with, but there are things that the whole world was dealing with too. Well, and we're, now we may or may not be in a recession. And (laughs) (laughs) I know. So you're, you're, how do you feel the organization is prepared if we are Sorry, this is like a downer. No, no, it's it's a great question. You know, we are, I think ever since 2009, 2010, we've always tried to be prepared, you know, reserves and other other funding opportunities to weather a recession. Um, But I feel like, I mean, maybe I shouldn't make economic um, predictions (laughs) as a leader of a museum organization, but... um, that, you know, this recession is not going to be like the house, you know, the housing mm-hmm. bubble mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that we're, we can weather, I think, even if it's a few months of sort of negative growth. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of my best friends is an econ professor and uh, his Twitter, I don't feel like it's that different from my Twitter. So I think we can all say it. <laughs> yeah, I, know, right? I know we can just decide. Yeah. Megan is the Ohio History Connection's first female CEO in its long history. I wondered what the organization is working on to ensure she's not the only one ever. Are there any initiatives or anything that Ohio History Connection is doing to, to kind of broaden that pool or, or build more pipeline of interest? In? Yeah, I, you know, we're always in conversation with the programs around Ohio about the candidates, that the students that they're bringing in. But then we're also just looking at our hiring practices and, you know, what requirements are actually needed. Like, how do we think differently about the kinds of people that we uh, recruit for jobs? And, you know, that not everybody goes into, like, a master's program. And so, you know, we're, we're thinking creatively about it in a, a lot of different ways. Um, but it's a, a much longer-term issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's diverse, diversifying the field in general and then for us, for our staff to better represent um, the people of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Like I do with all my guests, I wanted to know how Megan unwinds after a very stressful week. I run. Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, I think you probably know having kids helps you sort of get rid of the work things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I enjoy local craft beers as much <laughs> as I can and in moderation. Um, and and then, you know, reading is a great escape. But, yeah, just trying to have other things, you yeah. know, in life that mm-hmm. um, that are fun and worthwhile. I mean, I think that's one of the lessons. I My personal lessons in 2020 was like, what do I shed that isn't serving me? And how do I spend time doing things that I like as much as I can? Mm-hmm. That, you know, where do I put my focus and my value? What types of stuff do you like to read? I like to read all sorts of things. I, you know, I love a good, like, um, fiction. I love a good trashy beach read or some, <laughs> you know, some Brit, you know, the the chick Brit books. Um, but then I also will, uh, you know, there was a recent um, biography about Paul Lawrence Dunbar. One of our sites is Dunbar House that came out. And so when there's, you know, something new like that that has a new angle on history, I like to pick those things up too. Those usually don't go as quickly as yeah. like my, the fiction does, but I, I like to have a little bit of a mix. I find that I, I'll read a fiction, you know, a, a I read a lot of like thrillers, essentially Gone Girl type stuff, uh, and I'll read those in a day, and yes. then I'll be working on the same. You know, I'm trying to read the the Lost Year about the COVID school closures. I've been working on that for two months. Yeah, so. there's like always two books sort <laughs> yeah. of in rotation. Yeah, I know. I seem to have gotten in a loop where I'm reading a lot of uh, time travel uh, 
fiction. Uh-huh. Suddenly, I'm like, why is everything about time travel? What does that <laughs> say about me? Uh, have you read Outlander? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I have to admit, my son's name is Column, which I got from. I didn't name him after the books, but I first saw that name in, in the book. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a, I did not. It's not like a creepy thing I had seen about you. I'm uh, amazed. Yeah. That I picked up. That yeah. It's the the time travel yeah, history. Yeah. Yes. I we wa- I've not read it, but we watched a couple seasons, and then the violence got to be too much for me. So yes. maybe I should read the books. Yeah, I would say read do. the books. I, I was reading one. It was a book on tape and I was driving in the Newark State Thruway and you still had to go through tolls. And I was a little bit embarrassed that this was being read, read to me as I'm going through. <laughs> yeah. through the yeah, they hear all sorts of stuff, yeah. I'm sure. Megan had perhaps the best answer ever to my question about advice for young professionals. That's because she's living proof that it works. The other question I like to ask everyone is a piece of advice that they would give to a young woman just entering the workforce today. Yeah, I... Th- I think I've been reflecting on this a little bit is I would say have confidence in yourself that you don't have to wait until you know all the answers. You know, there's some data that shows like in job applications, women feel like they shouldn't apply unless they have like 90 percent of the of the qualifications Mm -hmm. and men maybe 40 or 50. And so when I think about that in a world where we're all sort of working together, it's like, you know, to jump in there sooner and be confident. You know, I almost didn't apply for this job because I was like, am I not ready yet? And, and, you know, I could have almost been my own worst enemy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and held myself back. And so, you know, don't underestimate yourself. What changed your mind or what convinced you that you were? You know, I was lucky that I had some supporters. I had uh, friends and former colleagues who were like, you should do this. But I also just, I think one day woke up and said, this is what I want to do. Like, why would I wait? Why would I not try? Mm-hmm. You know, that I wasn't, there was going to be no harm. Yeah, in, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, there was going to be no harm in trying. And I'm generally not shy, like, about my thoughts or ideas. So, you know, I was just ready to step up and step into it. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Well, it sounds like it's going well. And thank you so much. Yeah. This a fun conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Megan for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence. See you next time.